Warning, some things in our podcast may not be suitable for everyone. We talk about cults and murders, and due to the nature of our podcast, may use harsh language at times. Viewer's discretion is advised. And also, we can't pronounce anything. Hello, cults and crime fans. I'm your host today, Nicole, but Jamie's not here today. That's because she's on a plane traveling hundreds of miles to be in California for Thanksgiving. So because of this, I have a very special co-host with me today. Do you want to say hi? Hey guys, what's up? My name's Chloe. I'm here in Jamie's spot today because she's traveling. (laughs) Glad to be here. So one of the many reasons she's so special, and it's not only because she's one of me and Jamie's closest friends since elementary school, (laughs) but she actually works in the prison system as a CO. Little correction, not as a CO, I'm a deputy sheriff. So the difference between a CO and a deputy sheriff is I am a sworn police officer, whereas a CO can only work in um, a jail system or a prison system. Good to know, good to know. (laughs) Only only one of my best friends, but good to know. (laughs) So Chloe's particular set of skills is going to come in handy today because this murder is gonna take place inside a prison. I know you're all wondering, aren't they constantly being watched? (laughs) Well, that's what Chloe's going to help tell us about. So the difference, there's a few differences between um, the prison system and the jail system. The jail system is um, a little bit tighter watched. It's under a little bit more regulation because it's controlled by the government. Prison systems are privately owned. Um, So in a prison system, there are less room checks, there are less uh, guards in a certain area. There's way more inmates to one guard. So the way that this could happen is a lot more plausible in a prison situation than per se in a jail situation. See, I'm glad we have her on full of knowledge. I'd be sounding real stupid right now. But without any further ado, Chloe's going to help us understand how Nicholas Rodriguez was brutally murdered. So this story takes place in Northern California prison set. That's actually not too far from where we all grew up. And I've actually seen this prison a lot as a child. Passing by the prison, which opened just in 1955. And I remember as a kid wondering... What laid behind those barbed wire fences and gray, tall walls? The prison having the ability to house over 2,300 inmates at any given time. The prison itself actually housed the first of its kind AIDS treatment center inside the prison. And I, from a little quick Wikipedia search, I found out that it's like the medical center in the prison. That's wild. So if any of you don't know, the like... The thing most COs and most um, prison guards, jail guards, whatever you want to call us, are afraid of is uh, AIDS. <laughs> anything, anything that you can contract through the blood is terrifying for us. And a lot of the time, we do wear gloves, but a lot of the time we're dealing with these inmates hand-to-hand with their blood all over us and all over yeah. them. So it's terrifying when we hear that somebody has AIDS <laughs> and is bleeding all over us. Yes, yeah, so the very first case of it being treated inside a prison system was actually here at CMF. Wow, that's actually really interesting. I never knew that. Mm-hmm. But it converted from a AIDS treatment center to a regular prison. But back to, I guess, current times. 
Nicholas Anthony Rodriguez's body was discovered around 9.30 p.m. May 4th, just 15 hours after inmates were ordered to lock into their cells following a brawl between 58 inmates. Even if the murders inside the prison system is sadly, like, really common, I wasn't even aware how common it is until I started researching this. Oh, yeah. The gruesomeness of this murder is really what concerns me and kind of drew me to this case. And I will be going into gory details. <laughs> <laughs> so I really enjoy the gory details, but um, violence inside prisons and jails is not super uncommon, as she was saying. Like we've had we've had inmates stabbed and killed, and inmates who will beat one another to death, and that that happens quite often. Trust me, if someone wants to be violent, they will find a way to be violent. I've seen inmates make shanks and very, very sharp knives out of styrofoam cups. Out of styrofoam cups? Out of styrofoam cups. Oh my god. Yeah. So the body wasn't found inside the cell. The body was actually found in a trash can, and it was reported this body was actually found in two pieces. All of the organs in his stomach had been removed, and as well as some of his chest organs as well, and some of them were actually missing. His body was then folded in half and then stuffed inside of that trash can and then kept inside the shower stall a few doors down from his cell. Even with the rise, they didn't know he was missing until they did a head count around 5.30. That was hours later until the body was discovered. So, what time did the riot happen? So, the riot started at 4.30. And his body was found around 9 p.m.? Yeah. The body was found around 9 p.m. after they did the head count at 4.30. Which, to me, seems kind of like an obscene amount of time, but... So, did the riot start at 4.30? Or... So, it started at 4.30, so they didn't do a head count. There's no way they did a head count at 4.30. So... They did not find the body until 15 hours later. Okay. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a ridiculous amount of time that to is. go. Yeah, that's a pretty... So um, for comparison, I do, when I'm on um, a housing unit, I do um, two room checks an hour. Um, we don't do them with head cards, but during a riot, like after a situation with a riot, you would after you had all the inmates locked down and everything was safe enough for the COs to come back into the housing unit, you would immediately do a head count and check for injuries and check for things like that, of that nature. Um, So for the riot to last 12 hours and then five hours after that for his body to be found, that means that they were probably really rushing trying to get stuff done and just over completely overlooked it. So even if it's a larger riot, because this one was almost 100 people, so does if that make a difference? Mm, it's easier for someone to get misplaced um, if it's 100 plus people, especially you're thinking, I mean, a riot, you're all hands on deck kind of thing. Um Whereas, like, typically there's only one of me on a housing unit for, like, 50 to 60 or 70 inmates, depending on the housing unit I'm on. But that, to me, seems like a very, very long amount of time. Not the not the riot itself. The riot itself is going to last for however long it's going to last. But the time between the riot ending and, like, all the inmates being locked down. And accounted for. And accounted for. And then his body being found. Now, they could have also been looking for his body 
or for him for that matter, for that amount of time. So they were, they thought that he'd actually escaped the prison. See, there you go. Because they couldn't find a trace of him and later they found him in the trash can. Okay, see, so that makes way more sense um, than to just be like, oh yeah, no, they weren't looking for him at all. He was just gone with the wind. But if they were looking for him and then they weren't expecting him, you know, to be dead in a trash can. And the way you described his body, I'm kind of, I'm kind of interested to, to see what you think happened to his body because that's insane to me. Yeah, I can't imagine having that kind of time in a prison to completely dismember a body, basically do a full, you know, take out all the vital organs, cut their bone, you're cutting through flesh and pull out them and then where did they go? We'll find out. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, so I was a little stuck on like, how could you find something sharp enough to do all that damage? But I remembered when we visited the Solano County Prison with Kira's mom. Oh God. Our mo- <laughs> <laughs> so we used to have a friend's mother that worked in the prison system. I think she was a nurse. She was a nurse. But they had a family night and for God. whatever reason. She brought us. Her mother thought to herself, what an excellent thing to do is bring a whole bunch of teenage girls to a maximum security prison. <laughs> But do you remember like that big like wall of shanks they made? Yeah, so everybody has it. Everybody, every jail has their like collection of like random um, things that they found in the jail. My jail has it. Other jails have it. Where <laughs> you're, the amount of obscene weapons that are brought miss during the searching process and like brought into jails is ridiculous. But also. There's only so much we can do to like find it. We do strip out every single inmate that stays with us. However, there's other places you can hide things, correct? In the nicest way possible. In the nicest, in the least crude way for me to say it possible. (laughs) There's more places to hide things than you would think. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. (laughs) All right. So. With the autopsy being done, Nichols was found that he actually had alcohol in his system, and his cause of death was a blow to the head in the shape of a deep star pattern. There is bruising on his forehead and on his forearms with multiple skull fractures, which is really common with self-defense injuries. And there's really only one suspect in the case, which to me kind of seemed crazy because I'm thinking like a riot is kind of a crazier situation a riot is basically like it just depends because a riot can be oh all the inmates are saying no we're not gonna lock down and they all start like fighting and stuff that could be a riot but i mean it's not like oh we're all just gonna fight each other now like (laughs) see and that's like when i picture a riot i think of a whole bunch of prisoners like freaking out and fighting each other and sometimes it's like that and then sometimes it's not so if they have like one particular it's there's probably a reason for it they they were probably um eifs so eifs would be enemies in facility meaning that they cannot come out on free time together they cannot um they can't like be moved together they can't go to court together because they're enemies in facility. So I don't know if none of the research says if he was or wasn't. So who knows, they could have been. Yeah, so 
But they were in the same cell together. Oh. So, just a little backstory on his, you know, on his cellmate. Jesus Perez was 40 years old and convicted of murder in Los Angeles. And Nicholas Rodriguez was 24 and he robbed somebody at gunpoint. So, I'm wondering how common it is to have those two people together. So, um, a lot of people make, have the mistake make the mistake of thinking that like oh the jail system only houses like people who smoke weed and like (laughs) drug people no we have rapists and murderers and robbery suspects and people who have committed mayhem for those who don't know what mayhem is it means um great bodily injury meaning like ripping off somebody's appendage like an ear or or biting their lip or or like do a men cheat (laughs) yeah ripping the dick off (laughs) sorry for her you can't say dick on the internet (laughs) can't say dick on the internet anyway sorry mother (laughs) but we so in at any given time um when i'm working i could be dealing with a murderer i could be dealing with um a convicted or not convicted a serial killer if those people come through jail. Think of jail as like purgatory. Okay. And prison is when you are sentenced <laughs> to your time. So it's very common for a robbery suspect and a murderer to be placed into into a same cell. Okay. So, and by the way, this is like a new update. I found this out today, like right before we started recording, which totally threw me off. <laughs> is um, during the early morning, there was a court session on February 7th where Jesus Perez had pleaded no contest to the murder of Nicholas Rodriguez. Perez did originally attempt to claim that he was incompetent to stand trial, and his attorney had argued that Jesus believed that his family was dead and that he had $200 million in Mexico. To be specific, Jalisco, Mexico, so, you know, grab your pitchforks and shovels and head out to Jalisco, Mexico. But that's where he's from. And he believed that his whole entire family was dead and he had $200 million. All right, he'd actually done this before in another case and it worked, but this time the judge wasn't having any of it. And they had said that due to these delusions that he was incompetent to stand trial, but the judge said no. And so then he claimed no contest in the murder. So uh, good on that judge. Right. Uh, because that, as much as I like to give people the benefit of the doubt, literally f that because (laughs) if he's he's a convicted murderer so he's we know he's already capable of doing this and then he tried to use the same exact excuse before so mm, well like she told me earlier at dinner tonight all prisoners have to do a psyche valve correct yes so when um you come in so when someone is arrested, doesn't matter if it's for murder, it doesn't matter if it's for robbery or even for shoplifting. Really? You, yeah, you come through the same exact place. You come into jail, you come into our Sally Port, we search you, we search you for everything. We put it into a property bag that is sealed so that nobody can tamper with your things. Then you come in, you get a medical evaluation by our nurses, and then you get a psych evaluation. Everyone gets these evaluations. So in cases like this where there's been some kind of act of violence committed in the prison, do they go through a re-psyche valve or do they go off to the original? So um, at least in the jail system that I work in, mental health is in the facility 24 hours a day. 
and so is our nursing um, staff. So an inmate can uh, call a deputy or a CEO over to their cell, be like, hey, I want to talk to mental health. And we are mandated to call mental health and say, hey, this person wants it. And they have to set up an appointment to talk to them. So in this situation, in such a traumatic like thing, a riot happening and different things like that, yeah, he, he would be reevaluated. He would definitely be reevaluated to see if he was competent enough to stand trial. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, so one of the things that I was like kind of interested about, but also like a little upset about was um, the lack of information given to his family, specifically to his mother. Um, his mother, by the way, Maria Rodriguez, stated that they gave her zero information about her son's murder. And I'll quote her on this because she said, um, when I saw my son at the funeral, he was so bad in the face. I called them last week and they said they were going to tell me in two weeks or three weeks, but right now I have nothing. Is that common? I know it's investigation, so you want to keep um, things hush-hush? So, yes. It's partially that... Um, it's partially probably because they just don't know what happened to him. And that's really unfortunate that, and no, we don't, we, we, (laughs) they don't want to tell, uh, her like, Hey, we don't know what happened to your son. (laughs) Nobody wants to hear that. Like nobody wants to hear, Oh, Hey, by the way, like your son went missing for 15 hours and And we have no idea what happened. happened. So they're trying to pick. Put it together while also trying to placate her while being like, hey, like we'll tell you in a little bit as soon as we find out. We might not ever find out what happened to him. Honestly, we're probably never, unless um, Jesus Perez decides to tell what of us about what happened to him. But other than that, I am, I'm just curious to know, I guess, the reasoning behind it. But if this guy's claiming mental illness, he's, it- he's probably never going to tell. Exactly. Yeah, so unfortunately um, for his mother, it's she will probably be left with a lot of questions and a lot of unanswered concerns, especially um, dealing with how her son died. Oh yeah, totally. And it's sad for me because this guy was 24 years old. He's actually younger than both of us. Yeah. He's younger than both of us, and with an armed robbery charge, he's looking at maybe at the maximum like 10, 15 years served at halftime because it's California, so maybe six and a half, seven years. He would he would have been out by the time he's 30, 31, so he would have had a full life after that. So his sentence was for eight, so it'd be so four. So it would be four. 28 years, which is, yeah, like I said, a full life, you know, and he could have been turned around. He had possibilities. There are so many things he could have done. And it was all stripped away from him. That's all we have in the case. If Jesus Perez decides that he wants to come forward and give some closure to the family, which I'm sure is desperately needed, I can update you guys if anything comes forward. But in the meantime, next week we will have a cult episode with Jamie. And she will be here with us in California. So maybe I'll be invited back. Maybe not. <laughs> it depends how my editing goes. <laughs> But yeah, maybe we'll, yeah, maybe we'll have Chloe back for another episode of Cults and Crime. Stay tuned because I'm going to leave it a little mystery for you on what we're going to see next week. 
All right, guys. So before I let you go, I wanted to talk about another sister podcast of ours called Drunk Dead Podcast. It's another true crime podcast where three girls get drunk and talk about murder. And then then it says, please legally drink responsibly in their bio, which I never do, but you probably should. (laughs) But anyways, I love the most about these podcasts. They make custom cocktails that they show before every single episode. So why don't you go ahead and listen along to this short clip about them and grab yourself a cocktail. Hi friends, I'm Tierney, I'm Katie, and I'm Shelby, and we're Dead Dead Drunk. Drunk. We're three friends who are brought together by our love of true crime and alcohol. Tune in each week to hear us report on true crime stories that give us chills and make us feel like we really need a drink. For each episode, we handcraft a special cocktail inspired by the case, which we post in advance to our Instagram, so that you can drink along with us as we give you all of the gory details. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Links to our socials, our website, and merch are always listed in our show notes. Bye, Mom. Bye. Hey, cult and crime fans. If you like listening to us discuss charismatic leaders and husbands who definitely did it, then one of the easiest ways for you to support us is by subscribing to us on whatever listening platform you're using and giving us a five-star review. We love all of our listeners. Production by Jamie. Production and editing by Nicole. Our intro music is Wrong by Dan Henning. Our background music is In Albany, New York by the 129ers.